Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Emma Burgage. And I'm your co-host, Jose Camacho. Whether you're a player or a coach, or you're just passionate about what you do and you want to be the best at it, this is the amazing podcast for you. Today's episode is sponsored by Matchset. Matchset is an amazing company that provides players with incredible equipment and apparel. With Matchset, equipment does matter and they make sure it won't slow you down. Use code TENNISWITHEMMA to get 10% of Match Tennis today. Hello, everyone. They, uh, welcome again to the amazing tennis podcast. Um, it's a new and first time setup that we it's Emma's not going to be here. She got COVID-19 uh, doesn't feel too well. Uh, she tries. She's such a grinder. Like today, this, this morning, uh, she goes like, no, I feel terrible. I'm not doing it. And then she goes, no, never mind. I'm jumping in there. Like she just fights, you know, but uh, she, she doesn't feel too well. So it's only me and our amazing guest, um, Temba, which is you're a legend, man. You're a legend. It's <laughs> the first thing that when when Emma introduced me to you, uh-huh. the first thing that he, she said was, "He's the guy that everybody knows." And I remember <laughs> when I when I said I, did, I just didn't know you because I'm, I'm new to yeah. tennis and everything. Uh-huh. Everybody was like, like they wanted to like I, like I said something <laughs> horrible, you know. So I mean, your resume speaks for for itself. You probably one of the most experienced guys out there. Um, you just know what you're talking about. No, no um, you're you're in the like high performance level mm. stuff, but just everywhere like you're such a nice guy but everybody knows you either for like the nice person you are but also for your amazing career so why don't you tell us a little bit to begin with about like your career and what are what are you at now okay um yeah thanks uh for that lovely intro (laughs) um so i was uh born and raised in nigeria and i moved to the u.s actually let me backtrack a little bit i started playing tennis at six um was uh one of the highly ranked uh uh, juniors in uh, Africa, basically in the uh, 14s and 16s. Um, played tennis uh, all the way through to my 17th birthday. Then I quit, got into basketball. Mm. Um, and then I ended up coming over here uh, for tennis on a scholarship to Florida A&M. Uh, redshirted my freshman year, uh, left after that to go play professionally, got injured. Uh, ended up at Everett Tennis Academy, where I started coaching really young. I believe I was like 21 at the time. Mm-hmm. And basically led me to where I am right now. I am the currently the director of tennis performance at uh, One Tennis Academy mm-hmm. in Boca Raton, Florida. You know, um, built that uh, three years now. I think three and a half years. We'll be going on our fourth yeah, so far. So yeah, that's currently where I'm at now. That's awesome. And, and yeah, going back to because I remember, I, I knew one of your coaches, right? And yeah. I knew the academy, right? But then it's I feel like it's such a small world between coaching, it feels like it's huge. And there's a lot of people out there. Mm-hmm. But there's always connections, you know, what I mean, there's you meet always, someone that knows yeah. someone and yeah. and it all said centers back to Temba. Yeah. <laughs> it always ends up everybody knows you, man. So that's fantastic. And um, so yeah, so one is a really, really like uh, good, prestigious, high performance academy, right? So yes. it seems like all the players you guys have don't play for recreational tennis, mm-hmm. but it's focused for players that are trying to go college or pro. Am I right? Right, correct. Um, we we um, part of part of uh, the culture and the philosophy that I wanted to start when I got into that was you know I, I think high performance tennis has a lot to teach everyone, mm-hmm. whether it's. Um, Someone who is just playing just to stay healthy, uh, not not 
get fat, so to speak. Uh, mm-hmm. You have players who come in there, they don't even know what their expectations are of themselves, you know, whether it's college or the pros, you know. But one thing that we wanted to embrace together collectively as a, as a unit was just the culture. So people come in, they pay for a service, you give them the best of what you you have when it comes to that. And then the ones who don't know can decide for themselves. Right. Like, right. you know, for example, you know, you have kids who uh, are super fit, you know, very focused ability to problem solve is, is there and all of that. But their understanding of what it means to go pro is, mm. is very flawed. So they'll come in there and they'll go through the work and then you see the improvement and all of a sudden you're like, wait a second, you know, how much further out am I if I wanted right. to go pro? And you're like, well, you're not very far right, off. Right. And then all of a sudden it's like, aha, this is a hard mm, moment thing. Yeah. So one of the, the biggest thing about us at One was, you know, it's just the culture that we set. You know, everybody held, gets held accountable for how their day goes, whether you're 12 or you're 25, you know. And um, we sort of help guide them through that stuff, not through personal opinion, but based on, your ability to do the work, right. you know. So I, I, I would say that's been the biggest thing um, that's that's kind of helped propel us to where we are today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fantastic. And yeah, I mean, we, again, I, I planned this podcast to uh, to just focus on, like we, we try to focus on a, a certain amount, like a certain audience in the tennis mm-hmm. world, mm-hmm. right? And I feel like we haven't gone into, because there's not a lot of, like I feel like it's a minority that high performance players, right? right. There's right. more, uh, club players, mm-hmm. uh, just for like kids that go to summer camps. Like it's more, right. there's more fun tennis than competitive pro college level, right? That's correct. So I think, but M I think has a big following in terms of like players that are trying to go pro or play college mm-hmm. or play like a high level juniors. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to do the podcast. Like what better person to do with someone that's so involved and knows so much about that world? So um, the first yeah question that I wanted to go into is. Mm-hmm. What what is like for kids that are listening to that are still having gone to the age that they're maybe thinking mm-hmm. about going to an academy, right? Mm-hmm. Or or yeah, they're they're before that step and they want to know how the life is in a for a full time academy student. Mm-hmm. How does a week look like for one of your guys? Um, so typically, yeah, typically a week would be, um, you know, you have two hours of tennis in the morning, two hours in the afternoon, so that's four hours of tennis and an hour of fitness in between. Um, so typically we have. Uh, two, we have two versions of student athletes there, the ones who do online high school mm. or, or online schooling, so to speak, and uh, the ones who go to regular school. So the, the kids who do online school, you know, they, like everyone else, they do the two hours in the morning, uh, 7.45 to 9.45, then they have fitness at 10. Between uh, 11, when they're done with fitness, and 3, they have lunch and they do their schoolwork. And then we're back on at uh, 3 o'clock to 5 p.m. in the afternoon. So that's basically scheduling-wise what the week looks like. On the weekends, it usually is when they play tournaments. Mm. Or depending on where we are in the schedule, they have a rest recovery week. Uh, most most of our kids do compete on the weekends, whether it's the Battle of Bocas, um, uh, USTA Level 4s, 3s, 1s, what the case may be, or quite a few of our kids play the ITF International Junior Schedule. So mm-hmm. that means they hop on a plane, travel somewhere for sometimes two weeks in a row, mm. um, one week, three weeks, depending on, on the scheduling. So that's pretty much the the week right. um, outlook, so to speak. 
with the pros, we have a couple of WTA ATP pros who are based out of there. Uh, their schedule is a little bit different. Most of them come in at, at uh, 10 during the uh, regular schedule. And then depending on where they are in the, in the tournament schedule uh, during the course of the year, they're either doing one practice a day or two practices a day. Okay. Uh, typically, when we're in the, in the uh, when we're in midway into the season, they usually do one solid practice during the day, mm-hmm. and then fitness, and then rest and recovery. Right. Uh, just because there's only so many hours in the day, and when you're playing high-level tournament matches, so to speak, you need body needs a little bit more time. So right. that's what their day looks like. Right. That's great. And do they like? This is what my next question was for competitions. Do they individually compete, or do they have a, like do they travel as a team for certain tournaments? Do they the coaches go with them, or the competition is more individual? Right. Um, it for the most part they travel as a team, not necessarily the pros, but like the like the junior ITF players, for example, or the the kids competing in nationals. Like if you we have we're fortunate enough to have a group of kids that are about the same level with each other. Mm-hmm. So we have a group of kids who went oh, to twelve nationals in clay, uh, girls clay courts. Right. So they go as a team. We send mm-hmm. a coach. We had a couple of players who went to girls eighteens hard court. We right. send a coach there. Uh, the ITF trips, you know, depending on where they're ranked. For example, if you have a kid, we have a kid who's uh, ranked three hundred ITF boys. So he'll be playing grade threes, grade twos, grade ones. Maybe the next person closest to him is like may, maybe 600, 700. Mm-hmm. They will be playing more J60s or formerly J4s. Yeah. So in that case, you have a split situation right, right. where either one coach goes here and one coach goes there, or we prioritize helping the ones who are still coming up. Um, so yeah, sometimes you do have that pro- problem, but for the most part, they tend to travel as a unit, as a team. So you try to like make teams uh, regarding right. the level, right. and then set we them up. We do the with schedule based right. on mm-hmm. how many kids do we have uh, in this ranking range, mm-hmm. so they go to play the same tournament, because ultimately it ends up being cost effective for them too. It's it's cheaper for us to send a coach with four players right three players or more mm-hmm. uh they split the expense of a coach so they have someone who's over there overseeing the tournament matches their right. prep yeah. and just making sure that they're well looked after mm-hmm. and everything so this way the parents don't have to take time off work right. to do that right i see mm-hmm. that's great and then well you kind of answer this but uh in terms of academics so you said the uh there you have students is, is there a is that just choice, the guys that take online and the guys that go to school physically, or is yeah, it by level? Yeah, it's, or? it's um, you know, a lot of it has to do with some kids uh, prioritizing future academics. Mm. Mm. So yes, they, yes. for lack of a better explanation, a lot of kids don't believe they have what it takes early on to go right, pro. To go pro, right. Or, for, for example, um, they'll pick a school like Harvard over a school like UCLA right. or, or University of North Carolina, where the tennis is typically right. more competitive. Right. Yeah. So they'll focus more on the academics now. Obviously, you're going to Pinecrest, St. Andrews, American Heritage mm-hmm. schools like, like those. Um, and that's where you have the sort of differences because some schools won't allow you the freedom to go away for a week right. to go play an yeah. ITF schedule. So all you're left with is Battle of Boca right. and USDA tournaments yeah. on the weekend. But academics is it's it's very very important for us because the the thing about going to school and doing well at school is 
it's pretty much the only way we know we can trust you to do what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how we find out what your responsible level is like. Right. You know, other than doing the work on yeah. the court, of course. But, you know, it's we're, we're trying to teach them life through tennis. Mm-hmm. So the, the tennis and being an elite athlete is one thing, but also being elite at life. Right. And that's taking care of your academics. So we usually recommend early on that if the kid has the athletic gift and mm-hmm. the talent that they at least try online school in the in the early stages early years because you can always go back to regular school when you're 16 right. if you've you've spent the required amount of time training yeah. to get to at least the level where now you're getting looked at by certain elite colleges right. and and stuff and you know for the most part we we have a lot of parents that trust us in that regard Right. So yeah, that's great. Yeah, and yeah. So it basically, comes down to priorities of of the kids right. and and right. what they want to do in the in, in the their future. future for right. sure. Exactly. For sure. And um, and then this is more for like the coach director, especially you that they're uh their mm-hmm. director. When and how do you start seeing like kids that that are going towards a college route, mm-hmm. kids that can actually go pro? Mm-hmm. Is this like a talk that you at some point have like a certain age you were like okay, buddy, like if the, even if this are your goals. Like for your own well-being, for the finances of your parents, like this is not an option. Mm-hmm. Do they figure it out themselves, and do their trainings at some point differ? You know, from the college right. players and the ones that actually want to go pro. Well, you know, so uh, you know, a long time ago, I was fortunate enough to be mentored by uh, one of the greatest coaches, I guess, in in the world, uh, Andy Brandy. You know, was former. He was a former. Um, head coach at University of Florida, one of the winniest uh, college coaches in history. And he told me this, he goes, you know, you you have, you, you, won't, you won't know if you have a thoroughbred or a fancy horse until you put both of them through the ringer and right. have them do the work. Yeah. So for us, it's, we, we, we tend to treat everyone the same. Um, like people ask me, you know, do you have a, a program for kids not going pro. Right. I go. Yeah. I don't know what that means right. because you know, the only way we'll find out if you're if you put if the same work, for you, right. we put you mm-hmm. through the same degree yeah. of work as everybody else, and it varies from kid to kid. You know, from player to player. Like some players develop really late. Right. You know, um, athletically speaking, some some kids you see them at 13 years old and athletically they're just freaks. Right. You know, I'll give you a good example. Like I. I worked. I had the fortunate experience of working with Madison Keys starting when she was eight, nine years old, mm-hmm. and you can tell there was nothing special about her. She couldn't put two ball, balls on the court, right? But she loved being on the court right. and she loved competing. Both her parents were athletically, you know, talented. She had the genes, so you could see physically she was just different, right. you know. Um, and, and that's the thing. But ultimately, you have to remember what your role is mm-hmm. as a coach. Yeah but also as a teacher, right. because it's up to you to figure out what this kid has right. or doesn't have. Yeah. Some kids you wouldn't even find out until their last year in the junior, 17, right. 18. The light bulb goes off, and all of a sudden you just see something that you haven't seen yet. Right. And that's where you know just having faith in the work that you're doing and, and not necessarily quitting or moving on just because this person hasn't done this at a certain age that right. stereotypically people mm. think you're supposed to be doing things right. 
And, you know, that's part of the fun job about the sport. Yeah. You know, at least for me as a coach. So it just, it varies from, from kid to kid. Right. You know, um, there's no set age or goal. You know, you put them through the work and some people take some time. Some people bubble right away. Right away. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's an interesting trait because it seems to be like a common trait of like successful athletes and programs. Right. How process oriented they are. Right, right. right. How, how the outcome is always an outcome. You know what right. I mean? It's, it's, it's at the end, but it's never, uh, the focus is never there, right? right. It, it always seems like successful people have a more, yeah, process, like you said, like kids like Madison Keys that enjoy every single day. Right. And then at some point it, it pops up and it's even more special because you weren't, you weren't really playing for that, right? Yes. You were playing for yeah. every day and being the best version as you guys do in, right. in one. And then things just kind of happen, you know? Right. Or maybe they don't, maybe they, something, a new path opens, right? Right. Uh, Um, mm -hmm. And it's really interesting what you said about like late bloomers because I remember one time talking with Emma and she was talking about, I think it was Sabalenka. Mm -hmm. I think she knew her from a young age. I'm pretty sure she grew mm -hmm. with uh, some of these players and how she told me a lot of these like really, really top athletes, like top 10 in the world in WTA, mm -hmm. they really weren't succeeding that much at a young age, no. mm -hmm. but it's because they had a team that was so focused on the future, on the future that yeah. they were like, like they, their training was, I don't know, like it's, I should give you this example of how she would hit through every single ball and be so aggressive. Mm -hmm. And she, it wasn't working for her because she was playing pushers that would get every single ball back, right? every single ball. <laughs> and and then you, I feel like you still see it in Battle of Boca. Oh yeah. Uh, these like kids that just grind and yeah. all, like, I don't want to call you old Emma, but like all their <laughs> <laughs> girls on the older side, um, they struggle, right? Because these girls right. just keep making the ball. Uh, mm -hmm. And then these girls that weren't winning tournaments, right? Because they're mm -hmm. playing so aggressive. They, be, they were being trained for a future of And now that they're 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 blooming, right? That's and they're so I don't know. I think that's really really interesting, and it yeah. must require a lot of courage to be like, this is gonna work at some point. It must be so frustrating because I'm not gonna yeah. win right now. Right. But it's at But some point it's gonna yeah. yeah. And and it's very easy to tell when you go out there and you watch like a competitive match at any tournament. You can tell the ones who. You can tell the ones who are playing, because. They need. They just want to win, but they don't understand what winning means. Right. I need to just win this match because if I win, maybe Nike will give me free stuff right. or Wilson will give me free rackets. Right. You have those who are winning to get the attention of somebody else. So it's not even about them now. Right. If I win, maybe Duke will come in. You know, maybe I'll get into Duke or Stanford or whatnot. Right. And then you have those who are being coached to win so that mm -hmm. the coach looks good yeah yeah yeah. if my players are winning i'll right. get more clients Makes sense. more clients mean more money yeah so do whatever it it, it takes for you to win yeah. that match because it, it becomes more about me wow. less about them uh-huh you know and and it's it's heartbreaking because you know ultimately you go through that period where okay You're frustrating to play, but you're winning a lot of matches, and then you get to the point where you just can't win a single match to right. save your life. Yeah, you know, and it happens quite a lot. You know, that's okay. really interesting. Actually, I've never thought about that. Like, like, like right. coaching, like you, kind of uh, selfishness, right? And you're yeah. like, I'm here for the money or for like yeah. um, things reputation, and then <laughs> it happens a lot all right. the way through the pro pro level. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, but, I um, I'm gonna. Get off the question schedule real quick because I feel like I, I do that every single podcast. Like I plan a whole thing and then I end up just talking about random stuff. <laughs> but um, I recently found out I don't know like if this is gonna be controversial, but that Rick Macy mm -hmm. charges eight hundred an hour, which seems <laughs> yes, outrageous does. to me. Like outrageous. I want to see your thoughts on this because um, I have well, a really you know, I, I have I, a really polemic I, um, stance on this. Like like I I've spoken about this in general, mm -hmm. uh, not on a platform, and it's. You know, the, 
Rick Macy has done quite a bit for the game of tennis. Right. Um, but it's my my problem isn't so much uh, about what he charges for his lesson. I, I mean, I think that's an insane amount, <laughs> but especially for the body of work that he does, you know, it's like nobody pays, nobody pays a, no, no, nobody spends a million dollars on a camel, mm -hmm. okay? You spend a million dollars on a horse. Right. Because when that horse is done racing, I can use it to transport something and it will get there within a certain reasonable amount of time, right? right. A camel is always going to be a camel. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, with a lot of people is that price point is not based on what he's doing now. Right. It's, it's based on what right. he is still marketing himself as that he did 30 years ago. Right. You know, and that that that's the issue I have with it. Like, if you go on a court with a with a uh, with a thir a twelve year old kid, or you go on the court with an eight year old kid, or you go on the court with a sixteen year old kid who's playing competitively at a tournament, you can't coach all three of them the same way. Mm. And basically, I you know I've been there and I've seen some of his lessons. Obviously, doing the ballot boca, the basket is always full, and it's feed, 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 feed. Because I mean, okay, he's a little bit older now, close to eighty, and he can hit. He's not like a guy like me, sure, and I get that, but you can easily have somebody on the court hitting while you're observing. But no, it's you do an hour lesson, and it's a lot of fed balls. When I say a lot, it's more 20 to 25 minutes of you actually doing something. Right. There's at least another 20 minutes of talking, mm -hmm. and then maybe 10 minutes of picking up balls. So it's right. an hour lesson that's really like 20 minutes. So yeah. you're paying 800 bucks an hour for a 20-minute lesson. Right. Essentially. Yeah. And and the crazy thing about it is people still buy into yeah. it. But when you go over there, the program is basically a bunch of eight to ten year old kids. Right. There's not one single high performance player yeah. uh -huh. that's training over there. Right. Do you understand? So it, you you know, there's pro coaches who are making two north of two hundred K a year, plus bonuses included. So you can end up being three. I, I know guys who are making three fifty a year. Right. You know, but that's ba you're you're working with a pro who's making maybe north of a mil, two million a year just in prize money. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, plus endorsements and all of that. But you have a situation where a guy, and it, that's the crazy thing about me. What what are you doing with an eight year old kid that you're <laughs> charging eight hundred bucks an hour? Yeah, you exactly. understand. Like yeah. it's it's as a private coach, exclusive to that kid. Sure, no problem right. because you're foregoing the opportunity to work with multiple More people. More people, of course. Yeah, but this is it's like rinse repeat, right? Every single day, and that's the crazy yeah. thing about it because it's he's able to do that because it's based on a lot of those parents not knowing what a proper coach right. is supposed to do right. or a proper training is supposed to look like. Absolutely. So you will get away with it for a certain amount of time until they come to the right. senses and exactly. then they yeah. leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll just get the next 
I hate to use that term sucker, yeah. but essentially that's what it is. Yeah, that's a really great and nice way to put it because you have yeah. such a big reputation, you need to choose the right words. I don't, on the other hand, yeah. uh, I'm a golfer, I, yeah. tennis coach now. Uh, yeah. I love tennis, so I can just say whatever I want. Uh, yeah. But that's exactly my point. Like when I found out about this, it's like, it almost feels like what people do with really expensive brands. You know, At some right. point, it's, it's a name that you're buying, right? It's a Correct. brand. And, and and again, not to take anything away from Rick Macy, obviously he's one of the right. best coaches out there. He, he was like just incredible resume. Right. Mm -hmm. But I feel like when it, when you get to a point where you're charging a hundred an hour, as you said, for mm -hmm. just feeding balls, right? Yeah, uh, you're buying the name Rick Macy, right? It's almost right. like oh, I took a lesson with Rick Macy, and I'm I you pay for that for and, the and name. The, right? And the question people should be asking is what's that what's that name worth? Right. You know that that's the thing. It's like I can go out there. I have a resume that's just as thick. Mm -hmm. You know, I can tell you all the many people that I work with. Right. But, you know, at the end of the day, what are you doing today? Right. Right. What are you doing now? Right. So I, I could keep living off the fact that, okay, I coach Madison Keys and I coach Naomi Osaka. And I can go out there and Jenny Brady and all, all of them. I can, I can go out there and milk all of this stuff for right. what it's worth. But your resume is only supposed to give people an idea about what kind of pathway you're, you've been on. Right. And, and that term excellence really, is just something people play around with nowadays. So if you're paying somebody 800, I mean, when you think about it, he hasn't developed one player since the 90s. Mm. Yeah. Think about that, since 1990. Right. So, you know, but he keeps saying all of this stuff, but just go sit there for 30 minutes and see what the body of work looks like. Right. What, what is that name worth today? Right. Yeah. You know, and more often than not, you realize it's not worth what it is. Right. Not, not because he cannot do better. Mm. I just don't think he wants to. Right. Yeah. Why I mean, would I put in extra work when I can talk about to. King yeah, Richard all day and people will just come in here and they'll pay me for to be on my, to literally feed balls for 20 minutes, right. talk for 20 and pick up balls for 10. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, yeah, of course, there's hustle. nothing wrong with it because it's like if people are going to pay for it, like, but go ahead. That's, yeah, it's a smart hustle. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's so. a smart hustle, but you got to, yeah, I absolutely agree. And right. I'm going to rewind real quick just to mm -hmm. the fact that you just said that's how humble he is. Like, he just he calls Naomi Osaka and Madison Kids, which is insane <laughs> to me. And this just proves your point. Like, you're, you're such, like, th this is real success, right? That somebody that has had, like, you've had the results. And as you right. said, you can really milk that and, and be talking about it and wear it as a badge. Like, oh yeah, I coached one of the best, like number one player in the world. And yeah. But then you see your work ethic and how humble you are and you're, you're focused on the now and what you're doing now in your academy. Right. And then, I don't know, I feel like it, it really shows someone that's actually in love with what they're doing, not in what they did. And then, as you said, trying right. to get the most out of that. Right. But uh, yeah, going back to, to Rick Macy, it's, and what you mentioned about like, I don't know what people expect, right? Like mm -hmm. what? Like I feel like they like how much how much unless you're like a billionaire how much how many lessons a week can you pay for eight hundred like yeah. you know what I mean how many can you actually pay for so like I don't know if you're I don't know if people like expect like maybe it's parents that don't know a lot about tennis and they expect mm -hmm. like oh no th this guy's gonna like do it if he charges a hundred he must so right? I, I have this crazy thing that uh, I have this crazy rule you know unfortunately tennis is a very expensive sport right. and not everybody can afford to pay what uh, most really good coaches nowadays uh, are charging for a private lesson. But, you know, one of the ways to, to, to work around that, to negate that was when, we, when I started the academy, 
I decided that, okay, look, it's very easy to put four kids on the court and and you make more money for mm-hmm. that. And, you know, I got together with the coaching staff and I said, look, we're not going to do that. Right. You know, I have three investors that I work with and I told them, I said, look, for this to work, you have to give me the keys right. to the whole mm-hmm. place, meaning I do things the way, the way I, you, want you know. To, right. And one of the things we wanted to do was like, look, we're going to make the program already good enough that... It, if you want to do a private lesson with a coach, that's the extra. Mm-hmm. Because you have a situation where, like, I've had to say no to a lot of kids. Right. Not because I don't want to make money. I'm, I'm a business in my in my own right. But if a, if a kid who comes from a wealth, wealthy background wants to book me five days a week, okay, that's five physical days I have to be on the court, which means at some point I will have less time for the kids who maybe can only afford to do one lesson right. because now I'm fully booked. So imagine if I did two lessons a day, three lessons a day with with three different kids who came from well-off families. Mm-hmm. Where would I find the time to do one right. with a kid who can only afford to do maybe one right. lesson? Right. So we have two kids on the court. Uh, that way everyone gets the attention mm-hmm. that is required um, to, to develop and you know, I do two, maybe three lessons a week. Right. Um, so that way, everyone gets their fair share of not just the attention and focus, but also the quality that's behind that. Right. You know, now, it's not to say if you have time to do extra, hell, you do extra. But, you know, the notion that, um, yeah, okay, doing private lessons and spending your money is the only way that you can actually become an elite player, it's not really true. Right. My thing is this, before I'll, I'll rather do a lesson for free uh-huh. than charge less for it. Do you mm. understand? Okay. Because mm. doing a lesson for free is sort of your way of giving, giving back. Giving back, to, right. You know, giving back to, you know, and, and it's something that I encourage a lot of people to do, mm-hmm. not just because of self-rewarding, because it just, if it's someone who appreciates your time, it means the world to them. Mm. And you'll see that right away. It, it'll transcend into something greater, you know. So if a, if a kid can afford to do the uh, pay a, a lesson, I'll do it for free. Right. Before I do it for less money, you know, because part of what every coach aspires to is to level up over the, the years, depending on which pathway your career takes you. I remember when I was working at Everett Academy, I started there part-time. I was making $10 an hour, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I would work for three months just to go and try to play one futures tournament. <laughs> that was all I could afford. And yeah. by the time you go to that one, you come back, you're almost broke, mm-hmm. you know. So there's people who go through that even till today, right? you know. So just, you know, I, I you could be out there and say, okay, yeah, look, I, I, I've made crazy money. But that doesn't mean anything because what have you done impact-wise right. to to sort of help these kids out of who course. don't necessarily have those the, that you know the ability and the means, and that's why it's really important. You know, you could charge. I mean, Patrick Mutogo came here and was charging five thousand dollars an hour for a private lesson right. last summer, which is insane to me. But he yeah. sees himself as having reached that status right. level. And he does give back because he has his foundation. Mm-hmm. So if someone wants to pay him $5,000 for an hour lesson, that's good. But he also has his foundation, which is how Coco came up. 
and some of the other players where he's, I mean, Patrick must have spent, I don't know, almost like a million dollars on, right. on Coco. Yeah. You know, out of his own pocket right. through his foundation. Right. So, you know, that's that. But, you know, not to go back to him, you know, you have a guy who's charging 100 bucks, uh, 800 bucks an hour, only to tell you about King Richard. Like, what, what is that doing for right. the, yeah, not, the kid, not doing anything for the game, anything who, for, for the, the kid. The kid who's idolizing right. you and would just love to take one lesson or two lessons. Like, what are you doing to, you know, and it, it becomes more about your ego right. yeah. than actually helping Absolutely. the players. And any, let's not get it twisted. If you're a coach and you're coaching this game, it is really not about you. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it has nothing to do with you. It's about the player. Mm -hmm. And, you know, who you coached 10 years ago or last week or whatever, it's all fine and good. But, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people get stuck in that and mm -hmm. then they forget. You know, nowadays, there's a lot of coaches who want to be just as famous as right. the player. Yeah. But that's not what the game is about. Absolutely. You know, so. Absolutely. No, that's fantastic, Tamba. And I, I think it's also kind of, it's it's a little bit of common sense. Like somebody that has, has built, a, like you said, a status of, mm -hmm. of so high. I feel like you at some point lose the fire of actually wanting to, to get people better, right? Oh, yeah. you're, you're kind of collecting paychecks mm -hmm. at, at some point. And I was talking about this, like, uh, I don't know if you met MS coach Sergio. But, uh, no, no, I don't think I have, but I've heard of him. Before. Great guy, yeah, great yeah, guy. He's, uh, he's really built everything from scratch and he's right. from Spain. His English is still like so, so it's better, it's oh. a lot better now. <laughs> but he came speaking like zero English, like oh, zero wow. English. And, but, and still mm -hmm. today, you can see how he struggles to say words, especially like tennis, uh, right, uh, right. like tennis terms. Mm -hmm. But he's such a good coach. Like, it's so hard to explain. Like, you have, mm -hmm. have to see it on the court, but he just looks so. Like his energy, right? He's he's a well, a good coach with the energy. He doesn't need too much words, right? right he just he right. just knows what he's doing, mm -hmm. and he has that fire. Like he, he you know he wants it for you, like right. the player, exactly. as you said. He's, he's right. not building his ego or his status. He doesn't mm -hmm. like you're a perfect example, right? You you have right. such a successful program at Story. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm coach Naomi Osaka and Madison. I'm gonna as, like everything that you don't brag. I'm gonna brag it for you. So <laughs> like this seems crazy to me, um, and in. But you, as you said, you're doing it for the game, right? There's a bigger purpose always, and you're giving back uh, right. because you found a passion in that, in getting people. And the the pleasure comes from seeing a player succeed and feel right. happy and look good on the court, uh, like look successful and, and reach their goals. Other than like, oh, let's see, now I can charge seven hundred dollars. Right. Now I can charge, right? Yeah. No, I got lucky in the, in the sense that you know when I one of the things that I decided when I realized that, okay, I wasn't going to play professionally, I was just going to get into coaching was, I became obsessed with information. And generally, I'm just wired like that. Mm -hmm. Like, I like to know things. And I was surrounded by a lot of great coaches during my time at Everett, you know. Um, like I said, you know, Andy Brandy, you know, he was, he took me and he was my mentor. Um, I learned a lot from him. I learned a lot from John Everett too, you know. I was surrounded by a lot of these guys who had been in the industry for years. And I, I just, I would just sponge off of it, mm. you know. And even back then, just, I, I'm still, there's a lot of players that I'm still sort of helping out, you know, um, that I met from back then. Like, it's weird. Like, people will see me at a tournament with a player, like, oh, how do you know Temba? It was like, oh, I met him first when I was like 12. Mm. And they'll look at me like, well, how, how old are you? Like, because she's 30 now. I'm yeah. like, yeah. You know, um, and, and it's just success of any kind 
whether it's in tennis, business-wise, or whatever, for me, you, you get to that level of success just so that you can find one person just to help out. Right. If, you, if you're fortunate enough to be comfortable in, you know, you know, financially and personally to help more than one person, right. man, it's even better. Because at the end of the day, it's, you will leave the game at some point. And it's not about the goal. Even you know, I tell parents all the time, look, I'm not a miracle worker. We're not miracle workers here. The goal is whenever you leave here, for whatever reasons you leave here, we want you to leave here better than you came in. Mm-hmm. So at some point, one day as a coach, you will retire from the sport. Right. You can sit at home and people will call you and you can give advice and all of that, but you will leave the sport. Right. So how are you leaving it? Right. You know, who are you leaving it with? And did you give this person enough information? Did you make enough of a significance in their life where now they're trying to even do better than what you did? Oh, then the future of the game is going to be in great hands. Mm. But if we all went about things the way some people go about things, like, no, me, 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 my money, my money, da, 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 then honestly, I can't even tell you what that that scenario is going to look like in the future, but it'll be scary, you know? So it's... It, I, I think there's a certain degree of you can be you can be humble, but you can also be super driven, right? And and I think that's one of the things that drives me and and uh, my team. You know, every single day when we go out there, we do what we do. Right. No, that's that's fantastic. That's fantastic, and it's yeah. It just sounds like like maturity as a coach, right? At some point, you you realize that. It's it's such a demanding job, right? Yeah. It's, I think the quality that you're talking about as well, like on the court, going back mm-hmm. to how many kids you have on the court and how mm-hmm. many lessons you give it a day. I did like I spoke to some of my friends that are also coaches, and I feel like at some point, um, and it's also maturing because at, at the beginning you want you want to earn fast, right? You right, see, like right. it's an expensive mm-hmm. sport, you get paid well. Mm-hmm. If you can be there 11 hours during that good season, right, right. and a day, and you can earn so well mm-hmm. that it's really addictive, and you're kind of like, no, more, more, and I can more, you know. Yeah. But at some point. It, you, like either life and injury or something is going to slow you down, right? Yeah. So something's going to humble you. So I think, mm-hmm. and, and I, I do realize, and I, I, I say with all the honesty in the world, I feel like at some point in a certain amount of lessons a day, you're not given the same quality of, of service, oh, no. right? Like after um, five, six hours, you're not, the first lesson is not going to be the one, the 10th, right? right. See, I, I mean, physically I'm a beast. Like, you know, <laughs> I, uh, I know that about myself because over the years I've, I've taken care of myself physically, you know, a lot of people know me as a very avid cyclist. You know, uh-huh. I go and I ride my road bike on the weekend, sometimes during the week, 50, 60 miles, you know, because I don't want to be a hypocrite when I go on the court. I'm 44 years old now. If I can go on the court and practice with, whether it's WTA, ATP players in the 21s, 19, and, and you're physically dying on the court and right. I'm fine, you know, so they can't possibly start telling me what's possible. Mm. Oh, it's too hot to practice outside. Yeah. Really? So why am I not on the floor? <laughs> you know, so there's a certain degree of just understanding um, what the job entails. Um, and, you know, like you said, look, sometimes, you know, financially the goal is to build fast. Right. But, you know, it's taking me 23 years to get to this point. Yeah. You know, yeah. To, to finally say that, okay, I have a business. I run a tennis academy that's one of the fastest growing, one or more, uh, popular and notable tennis academies in the world. But there's people who want to do that in three, four, five years. Right. I mean, hats off to you if you can pull it off, but there's so much that goes into that because, you know, anywhere you go, like I have, 
I have a good relationship with a lot of the, I don't know, the other academy close to us, Everett, and some of the smaller training to the point where these guys need practice matches. They send the players here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we accommodate them. Because why not? Because right. at the, at, again, like I said, at the end of the day, it's not about me or us. It's about the players. Correct. You know, so I think if people make their short-term and long-term goals solid enough, mm-hmm. you know, there's longevity in this sport that you don't have to do 20 lessons in one day right. and kill yourself right. now. Right. Because it's the quickest way to run yourself out of this business. Absolutely. And it will happen. <laughs> Physically, I guarantee you, it will happen. You end up hating tennis. Yeah. And you'll be that guy trying to charge 800 bucks in park, feeding a basket full of balls to a bunch of eight years old and just standing in one corner. So, you know, hopefully for everyone who's listening, you don't end up that rough. (laughs) That's great stuff. I mean, what a wonderful part because we're getting ready to wrap it up, but it was was great. Uh, Again, I missed half of the questions, but I'd rather have this like a true conversation and, and it's fantastic and it's, I don't know, man. It's like, you're one of those guys that, you know, you talk about, and I feel like if I keep talking, more amazing accomplishments are going to put you going to be like, oh, yeah, no, like, I coached Donald Trump yesterday. I was like, you're so I humble, man, and, and you're you're so, so, such a successful, and you really deserve everything you've done, and I I can see great things coming for you. Uh, as humble Thank as you are, I think, even if you do things always for others, Thank you. you can see the success coming your way always and, and for every single player under your wing. So all the I best and thank it. you so much for making that drive, man. Thank you. I appreciate Great. it, man. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you guys for watching and we'll see you guys when Emma is off COVID and she feels better and we'll have another guest. Thank you so Get much. Get well soon, Emma. <laughs> Today's episode is sponsored by Matchset. Matchset is an amazing company that provides players with incredible equipment and apparel. With Matchset, equipment does matter and they make sure it won't slow you down. Use code Tennis with Emma to get 10% of match tennis today. Thank you so much for supporting and listening to our podcast. Make sure to follow us on social media. And be sure to listen to next week's episode of the Amazing Tennis Podcast.